0: Can you remind me if you let me be so kind?
1: There it
0: Hello everyone and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I am your host and founder of Alzheimer's Speaks, Lori LeBay and today we're gonna have a great show talking about inflammation and Alzheimer's disease and what the two have to do with one another. For those of you that are new to our show, Alzheimer's Speaks uh, first of all wants to welcome you here. We are a place where we try to shift Um, dementia care around the world from crisis to comfort by connecting people to um, products, tools, and services, giving them tips to help you live graciously alongside dementia. I know what it's like. My own mother lived with dementia for 30 years, and I get the isolation, the guilt, the frustration, and the exhaustion. But there's a flip side to that coin, they can really lead you on a path of joy and purpose and passion and a deeper connection than you can ever imagine there being. So I hope you uh, listen to the full show and pass it along because that's one of the things our audience does so well is pass this information along so others can have it. So many people are in your own spheres of influence that haven't come out and even said they're dealing with this with a loved one or someone in their own family or, or maybe, just maybe even themselves. So it's really important to get this information out to people so that they feel comfortable and confident um, forging ahead um, and to be able to still live a purpose-filled life and feel connected to friends and family. If you are a business um, you might be interested in Alzheimer Speaks because we are also known as not only an advocacy-based company, but one that offers multiple platforms that we share to help expand your branding. So we can uh, assist companies in, in leveraging our content um, to increase people's knowledge of their existence of, again, service products and tools and so it's just kind of a neat way to to collaborate together. Um, now, before I introduce our guest today, I am going to mention uh, just a couple of shout outs. One is the Memory Cafe Directory. If you're not familiar with Memory Cafes, they are a gathering of people with dementia along with their care partners where they really build this sense of community. They have a lot of fun and they talk about real life issues. Not just dementia related, but um, the visits with the grandkids and family members, if they got a flat tire, the holiday seasons, vacations, all of that kind of stuff. And so it really takes a holistic and a whole person approach. And um, again, they're just a, a fabulous place to find a like-minded peer group that, that understands what you're going through and is willing to support you, you can go to memorycafedirectory.com for more information. And then a lot of you are probably looking for holiday ideas. And um, one great gift is always a, a book in this season. And so you might want to check out a book that, you know, is critically important to helping families deal with a dementia diagnosis. It's written by Keith Gallus, who has spent more than 20 years helping families work through all those questions that keep popping up on this dementia journey. The book itself is called Parental Dementia, a guide through all the difficult questions, and it even has some great uh, worksheets in the back that can can help you um, kind of collect your thoughts and figure out what your needs are and get you a little organized Um, and feeling a little bit more confident about moving forward, you can purchase the book by going to ParentalDementia.com. That's ParentalDementia.com. And if you put in the code LORI, L-O-R-I, you'll save um, $5.99. So, hey, you can't beat that deal. Last, I just want to give a shout-out to Stall Catchers. Stallcatchers is a game. It's a video game that anybody can play. They have ages 6 to 96 playing this game, and it actually analyzes real-life Alzheimer's data. And so by playing this game, which is free, um, you know, we can really move research forward in this area. So check out stallcatchers.com. You might want to even get some... um, you know, fun competitions going, some libraries are doing competitions, some schools, uh, some families, and then actually some countries as well. So um, again, a great, great kind of fun thing to do if you're dealing with dementia, if you want to advocate for it, is to check out Stall Catchers. And then again, for you listening, I cannot thank you enough. It's loyal supporters um, like our listeners who have liked, clicked, And shared our content on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and all the other social media platforms out there and we all know that by working together and raising each other's voice we can build a sense of community collaboration and comfort for those needing information and resources regarding dementia and caregiving and I firmly believe that together is the only way we are going to be able to battle You know, dementia. So please join us. We would love to have you be part of our community. And if you have any questions during today's show, you can call in to 323-870-4602. That's 323-870-4602. So let me introduce our first guest here today. I have uh, Dr. Tansy with us, and she is an expert in the field of neural inflammation. She's the director of the Center for uh, Translational Research in the, uh, Neurodegenerative Disease at the University of Florida in Gainesville, and she is also a consultant for Immune bio um, in support of the company's Alzheimer's disease program. So welcome, Dr. Tansy. How are you doing?
2: Wonderful. Thank you for having me.
0: Well,'m I'm, I'm excited that you're that you're with us. I think I'm hoping that we have Dr Tessie on the line. Uh, looks like he might be calling in from another number, but I'm hoping it's him. So I'm going to go ahead and introduce uh, him and uh, we will check and move forward here shortly so um dr rj tussie is um is the chief executive officer and chief medical officer of immune bio inc and before that he worked um, as an executive in other you know biopharma companies he is also a physician uh, since 1982 and he's also a formal surgeon so uh, Dr. Tessie, are you on the line with us?
1: I am. Thank you very much for are having you...
0: me. Well, wonderful. I'm sorry we're having a little technical difficulty here. So I'm not quite sure why, but I'm I'm going out of a hotel because I had a uh, an emergency here. So I'm supporting a a friend who's not doing so well in the hospital. <laughs> so thank you, uh, thank you both for uh, for regrouping and uh, making this show possible. Um, Dr. Tessie, I want to start with you, and I always like to ask each of our guests if they have been personally touched by dementia um, within their own family or circle of friends.
1: So, uh, yes, I have, both directly and indirectly. I mean, uh, I have a uh, um, uh, uh, my best friend's uh, mother developed uh, Alzheimer's disease, And this was someone who was a vibrant woman who, you know, over about a 10 year period went from being, you know, completely independent and driving and uh, hosting uh, bridge parties to someone who really became uh, really dependent on uh, a caregiver. She was never needed to be institutionalized because of the resources the families had uh, before she died, but uh, she had um, quite severe disease. Uh, that developed relatively, you know, quickly in the scheme of things, uh, starting when she was about, um, you know, about 76, and uh, she died uh, when she about 10 years later.
0: Okay, okay, great. And uh, Dr. Tansy, how about you? Have you been personally touched in your circle of friends or with family?
2: Yes, um, I've had um, – Several friends and colleagues that have had uh, parents with uh, Alzheimer's uh, or any other related dementia, and it's it's really heartbreaking. Um, it's good to see that many of them are still out and about uh, and are able to travel, but with uh, the passing of the years, several of them have uh, have had to go in in a home.
0: Okay. Great. Well, thank you for sharing that. Now, I'm going to go back to uh, Dr. Tessie. And if you can explain to us first um, why you feel inflammation is the right approach um, to end, you know, this devastating disease that so many families are dealing with. and, And also, what inspired you to pursue this path?
1: So I'm actually going to let uh, Professor Tanzi answer the inflammation question because, quite honestly, everything I know about the role of inflammation and Alzheimer's disease and dementia, I've, I've really learned from here. But let me answer the second question of what has inspired me, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll be simple. And and I hope this doesn't sound too, sound wrong. Is I what what really interests me in medicine are the unsolved problems I am not someone that gets intrigued by making a better mousetrap in other words if there's a solution to a problem to a medical problem I'm quite confident that you know patients and their physicians will gradually improve those um, solutions to a problem let's call it whether it's high blood pressure or you know heart disease what I get really driven to do is solve the problems that have no solution and you know Alzheimer's disease is really the disease of our time I mean baby boomers like myself you know there's going to be a lot of us um, who are already entering the age of risk for Alzheimer's and dementia and I'm fast approaching that and doggone it I want a solution for that problem before it affects me or 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 others around me. So that's what really gets me up in the morning is looking, seeing a problem that's not been solved and saying, okay, it's up to you to do it. And um, I'll let Malu mention why inflammation is so important because it's not only important in Alzheimer's disease, but also many other diseases of aging. Malu? Okay. Yeah, um,
2: I'm happy to address that. So Inflammation is something that is uh, both good and bad. Uh, When your body is injured in um, different ways, your immune system mounts an inflammatory response to uh, aid in the resolution of that injury or to uh, destroy a pathogen that has come into your body. But that kind of inflammation tends to be rather short-lived, um, and pretty well-regulated. Now, as you age, one of the things that happens is that there's an increase in inflammation in all your body tissues, in good part because the immune cells in your body, the immune cells that are in charge of keeping you healthy and fighting infection, they are also aging. And one of the things that happens is that they end up staying activated instead of um, going, you know, quiescent again. And so as you're aging, one of the things that happens is that inflammation becomes chronic and doesn't resolve. And we now know that inflammation, when it becomes chronic, is one of the drivers of cancer, heart disease, and now we are appreciating the fact that it also drives some of these neurological diseases, in particular Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, and these age-related dementias. And the reason okay. it does that is because it erodes, it erodes the tissues, it activates um, cell death uh, pathways in cells, and it, in essence, contributes to an immunosuppressed state as you're getting older, and so you're less able. To keep the house tidy, if you will, and a lot of toxic aggregates and toxic proteins build up in your brain, and they're unable to to be cleared.
0: Okay, wonderful. That's that's very helpful. You know, we've heard so much about the amyloid plaques and and so many re- researchers going going down that road. And and Dr. Tessie, I wanted to ask you. Um, you know what your what your thought is um, in terms of the strategy for tackling amyloid plaques. Is that really a rational approach? You know we've we've heard you know so many failures out there um, with with a lot of the research out there. Or is this just something that's required? And if so, who the heck is who the heck's in charge of <laughs> thinking that, that that's the that that's the path that, that people have to go down for their research pro- projects?
1: Well, that's a very interesting question. And uh, um, so first of all, uh, there's no question that the pursuit of therapies targeting amyloid was based on, you know, you know, scientific intuition. And the experiments that were done suggested it was something that might work. The problem came about though when you know, people became so convinced that it was amyloid was the solution and the only solution that they did a trial and it failed. And then they thought about it and they did another trial and it failed. And then they thought about it and did another trial and it failed. And it reminds me of the famous quote by Albert Einstein, which uh, I will paraphrase that says, you know, something like, you know, crazy or, or futility is, doing the same experiment over and over again and expecting a different outcome. So my point is that that despite really solid thinking by very good people when you know amyloid began to sh- not to stop showing promise instead of pivoting and going in other directions and one of those directions is neuroinflammation obviously that's our strong bias people just kept persisting so i think what happened is they were so committed to the amyloid story that they just you know dug in their heels and gritted their teeth and i think we lost time and we lost time and and you know now that it's not to say that there won't be a role for anti amyloid therapies there's absolutely going to be a role but it is not the only solution and now, you know, academic scientists like Malu and companies like Immune Bio are really exploring a lot of other very innovative approaches, looking at different causes of Alzheimer's disease. And what you're going to see over the next 10 years is this explosion of innovation uh, in the field of Alzheimer's disease. And it will make a difference because of this innovation, you're going to see a lot of different Approach is tested, patients will benefit, and and our personal bias, or at least my personal bias, is that you know targeting inflammation is a very sound strategy. But I hope I don't fall into the same trap that all those amyloid uh, acolytes did. That you know if, if if it doesn't work, I'll roll up my sleeves and go in a different direction. I'm just not gonna. I hope I just don't beat my head against the wall insisting that it's an inflammation it's inflammation it's inflammation
0: okay um, well that's that's wonderful because it you know it does seem like uh, some are really you know dug in pretty deep and and I know this is expensive work to do and so it's hard to you know kind of flush the toilet on it and go okay this isn't working and and trying to figure out what's the next path out there, um, because I know your researchers put your heart and soul into these projects, and so I, I can see how that can, that can happen um, probably personally with researchers and companies, you know, as a whole um, backing these projects. Do you expect your drug to, to be one of many drugs that will really be used for for different populations? in and if so, um can you kind of explain that a little bit to us?
1: So thank you the uh, The answer is I believe that almost every disease in medicine, particularly complex diseases like alzheimer's diseases there's all there's there there's going to be more than one solution, and frequently the solution or the best treatment will be combination therapy. Let's look at something as simple as. How, heart disease. How do we treat heart disease? We make sure that people take one pill to make sure their uh, cholesterol is low. They take another pill to make sure their blood pressure is under control, and they take another thing that can make sure their their uh, glucose or their sugar is under control. So, you know, here you have three elements: blood pressure, glucose, and lipids, that are all important elements of of contributing to the risk of cardiovascular disease. I think Alzheimer's going to be the same. It's a multimodal complex disease and every patient's going to be a little bit different and you need to be able to target certain elements. And inflammation, and Malu is more qualified than I am to talk about this. But neuroinflammation is kind of like uh, I guess it's kind of like, you know, the elevated cholesterol of 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 uh, of Alzheimer's disease. It's going to cut across a lot of the different pathologies. So you're gonna end up with patients on more than one strategy, more than one treatment, and that is the way that they will be able to really prevent from getting on that slippery slope of dementia that, you know, robs their, their soul and, and puts all that pressure on their family. So I'll, i I think it's I think the future is bright. The solutions won't be simple but I'm confident we'll get there.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I, I kind of view, you know, Alzheimer's and the, the various types of dementia almost like a cancer in and of itself, that there's different causes for different types. And the further, you know, we we go down this path, the more we're going to find out. We're seeing that just in terms of, you know, all of a sudden now there's mild cognitive impairments and you know, people are hearing more about Lewy body and frontal temporal lobe and vascular dementia, and I find it fascinating um, in terms of you know the variables that are out there and and the amount of unknowns in terms of in terms of cause um, and effect with this whole thing. So I think it's you know it's definitely not going away. I also see where families talk a lot where. Um, You know, they say science says, you know, this isn't hereditary, but I can't tell you how many families I talk to that say this runs deep in our family. And we have a hard time believing that there's, there's not something more to this. And, you know, I just say to them, and maybe I'm wrong at this, that, you know, we have such little research on that basis that we don't really know. And that's why it's important for families and people with dementia to both get involved with these trials so that we can gather this information in this history what what are your thoughts on, on that um dr um Dr. Tansy? I'm gonna throw that one to you. Oops, let me see. I didn't get you there you are off mute now, so we should be okay, able to no hear problem. you. <laughs> yeah there
2: can we you hear go. me yep, okay, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. um, the chronic inflammation that you have in cases um, that uh, are driven by cancer and cancerous cells are, uh, the hallmark is is chronic inflammation. And what happens is that the immune system becomes dysfunctional. Now, uh, what we think might be happening in Alzheimer's disease based on genome-wide association studies and genome-wide association studies, it sounds like a fancy term, but it's basically genetic studies that try to identify common genetic variants in a population that is predisposed to something. For instance, if you look at populations with Alzheimer's disease, and you look at the common genetic variants that they share in common, you will find that uh, over 60% of those are only related to immune cells or immune system. And that should tell us that one of the things that might be happening in Alzheimer's dementia is not just about the neurons that die. It's also about the support cells like the immune cells and the glial cells that are there to keep the neurons healthy. And so if they become dysfunctional through genetic variants expressed in these cells, then they're not able to do their housekeeping job that they should do to keep the brain healthy. And, This doesn't really show up when you're young, but it shows up later as you're aging. And it sometimes shows up sooner in people that have other environmental factors uh, in their lives. It could be things like uh, chronic systemic diseases like diabetes or uh, arthritis or anything else that also fuels inflammation. And so the idea is that It's like cancer. It's basically a multifactorial, multi-hit dance card that you accumulate through life. And depending on your genetics and depending on your lifestyle and your environment, then you're either at increased risk or decreased risk for these age-related diseases. And so you're absolutely right that it is a lot like cancer. And we really have come a long way in cancer in trying to understand how to leverage the immune system function to fight cancer. So some of the T-CART uh, therapies that are even now advertised in, on TV are doing exactly that. They're, they're engineering T-cells in your body, which are part of your adaptive immune system, and giving them an address so that they can home to the site of a tumor and kill very specific tumor cells rather than having you undergo an entire battery of toxic chemotherapy that's going to affect other tissues in all your cells, not just the tumor cells. So by learning more about the immune system, genetics, and the exposures that fuel inflammation and contribute to increased risk, I'm pretty confident that we will be able to do something similar to what people in the cancer field have done and not identify the inflammation and immune pathways that are responsible for increasing risk and fueling disease progression.
0: Wonderful. Um, Dr. Tassie, anything that you want to add on?
1: Yeah, I think um, uh, and to extend a little bit what Malu says, um, that, you know, controlling inflammation uh, do what you can today, and, and what I like to say with a smile on my face was my mother was right, right? What did she say when I was growing up? She said, get your sleep, you know, eat well, exercise every day, don't smoke, and, you know, watch your weight. And, in fact, if you don't do those things, now it, it may not prevent you from getting Alzheimer's, but it's certainly going to decrease the inflammatory burden you're putting on yourself and it's going to it's going to give you a chance a chance to maybe prevent the development or slow the development of, of Alzheimer's or other chronic diseases of inflammation and aging so you know mom thanks for the advice
0: <laughs> well you know I find it so interesting I'm, I'm 60 now And all of the immune disorders that are out there that, you know, I don't remember hearing about when I was younger or even, you know, I've got grandchildren now that, you know, are are allergic to so many different things. And it it just seems like there's a lot more going on. And and I hear the question over and over of, you know, what's the cause of this? And I'm like, well, you know, that's the the billion dollar question, (laughs) what everybody's Working so hard to so hard to figure out there um, with with all of this. Um, I wanted to ask in terms of, um, and I'm going to throw this uh, back to um, Dr. Dr. because you've been researching this field for for really a long time, and inflammation, you know, is involved in you know in in Alzheimer's disease and. Um, what have you seen so far in terms of, in terms of, you know, results and, and people's thoughts, um, even regarding this philosophy in this path? Have you, have you, um, found people open and embracing it or poo pooing it?
2: There's a little bit of both. There's a little bit of both. I would say, um, it's difficult to, um, put forth controversial ideas after you have uh, so many years of an established hypothesis that people think um, is, is the, the only thing that could be uh, causing disease. And I think Dr. Tessy right. We focused on the neurons because the neurons were the ones that had the senile plaques and the amyloid plaques and the tau tangles. But just because they are involved in the disease doesn't mean that other cells that perhaps are not uh, accumulating these um, substances are uh, evidence, right? And so what we think is, is important is to look with an open mind at the entire biology of the disease and recognize that neurons don't ever survive alone and they don't ever die alone. So most of the time, you're either inducing toxic injury on them or they're being neglected. And if you put all your eggs in the basket of saying there must be something intrinsically wrong with the neurons and that's your whole story, if you think of it as a neuronal disease, then those are the therapies that you're going to develop. And as we have found out more about the disease as the genome-wide association studies have clearly implicated immune function in the uh, risk for the disease, then we are now able to form different theories that are testable about the role of other cells in the demise of, of these neurons. And inflammation is one of them. The original idea was that Inflammation was there at autopsy because neurons had died and the immune cells were there to clean up the debris. Now we know by imaging people uh, while they're alive and by using biomarkers um, that are uh, able to tell us when their immune system is overactivated, we can now tell that the inflammation and the immune dysfunction in some of these patients and some patients more than others, starts much earlier than even uh, very uh, robust cognitive symptoms. So we do think that the way you develop therapies is influenced by how you think of the disease. And in the last 10 years, I think we've developed a new version of what we think is happening. And it may be that these Toxic aggregates of proteins or plaques are accumulating in the neurons because the other cells that are supposed to be supporting them are not doing their job properly as you age, and perhaps in response to some other chronic systemic diseases.
0: Okay, great. I know you know my mom lived with uh, with Alzheimer's and dementia for thirty years, and so we, as a family, and, and she wanted to have her brain autopsy. And um, I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Bill Fry here in Minnesota, um, but I sat down with him to kind of go over the results, and you know he was just amazed at at you know how small her brain had gotten, the atrophy, and and then yet you know in the next sentence he said, but that's exactly what you should expect when someone has had you know symptoms for 30 years, um, but you know we just haven't we haven't seen that many people live with it that long I I don't think it was um, recognized um, by either the the party themselves or or the physicians and I I see that changing big time out there now where people people are still functioning well maybe not well enough to be able to work but um, are still participating and being um, great advocates and have been living with the disease for 15 years so you know the, the face is changing and and how I think people are becoming more open at looking at this at a, at a much, much um broader, broader base and um and I think that that's absolutely, absolutely critical. Now, you recently wrote an article about obesity, and you know that that can be an important factor in the initiation of Alzheimer's disease and other neurogentic neuro degenerative um, disorders. Can you kind of explain to us a little bit about what the correlation might be between environmental conditions like obesity and um, the neurodegenerative um, diseases that we're we're seeing popping up?
2: Sure. Um, So there's a lot of possibilities uh, on how you can link obesity to risk for Alzheimer's. And They mostly revolve, again, around the role of chronic inflammation. One of the things that happens during obesity and metabolic syndrome, which is the pre-diabetic condition, is that all your peripheral tissues become very inflamed, and you have high circulating levels of uh, proteins called cytokines, uh, like tumor necrosis factor, like interleukin-6, and these factors inflammatory factors have a way to increase the permeability of not just the lining of the gut but the blood brain barrier and Mm -hmm. both of these barriers in the gut and in the brain are trying to keep out substances out of the bloodstream in the case of your gut um, that may not uh, be in the best interest of you know the rest of your body so they they tend to wall it off in the lumen of the gut Um, and when the gut becomes inflamed um, and that happens many times when you have an obese state or you consume high fat high fructose diets then the the tight junctions that hold together the cells in the lining of the gut become very loose and so you get what we call leaky gut syndrome and when you get leaky gut syndrome you have toxins from bacteria from food substances and things that should stay out of the bloodstream and they enter the bloodstream because of the leakiness of the gut and that tends to increase the likelihood of um, toxicity for, for the neurons in the brain since the, the bloodstream is connected right and irrigating the brain. It also um, raises the, the uh, permeability of the blood-brain barrier. So the, the, the brain only lets in certain types of cells into the brain from the blood, and that entry of those cells in the blood is very regulated. But when you have inflammation as a result of obesity or diabetes or other chronic systemic conditions, that barrier in the brain that keeps substances out or cells out um, also becomes leaky. And so we think that obesogenic states have the effect of disrupting the uh, gut lining, the gut microbiota that is there to keep you absorbing nutrients and to keep things out that shouldn't be in the bloodstream. And that leakiness, both in the gut and in the brain, sets up a permissive environment for toxins and other things to enter the brain. The brain becomes inflamed. And the uh, immune cells that are supposed to be keeping the house tidy become dysfunctional and they can't keep up. And so that's that's what we think is, is one connection. The other connection may be through hypertension. So there's a few studies that suggest that midlife hypertension, when it's untreated, may also be a risk factor for Alzheimer's disease. Now, those studies have only been done in Caucasians, so they need to be replicated in other ethnicities, but it is possible that the hypertensive state may also be associated with um, increased risk, and some of it may be through inflammation.
0: Okay, great.
2: So uh, do you believe,
0: you know, and we're hearing so much more about the whole you know, um, leaky guts, and, and the importance of us really looking deeper at what we do and how we do it, and, and what we what we take into the body, and um, you know, the sleep has now become important. Where Uh, You know, and and we live in such a fast-paced society. Many people are lacking in a lot of these areas because there's so many pressures. What do you feel um, can be done to really prevent Alzheimer's disease? And are there some current therapies, you know, being developed to to treat these symptoms rather than the, the root of the
2: disease itself? Yeah, I think you're thinking about it exactly the right way. These diseases are going to be far easier to prevent than to cure Um, because once you lose neurons and your brain atrophies, uh, the neurons and the connections that they form are not coming back. And so we would like to think that by understanding the gene environment interaction, trying to target the innate immune dysfunction or any inflammation that may be happening maybe in your 30s or 40s, may give us a window of opportunity to decrease the risk that comes with your genetics and also encourage people to modify their lifestyle with a good diet, exercise, sleep, so that you can keep your body in a healthier, younger state and perhaps prevent or at least delay the onset of some of these diseases. I think I envision um, that the Alzheimer's Association studies that are underway now uh, in the U.S. uh, and other parts of the world uh, are aimed at exactly that, understanding how lifestyle changes through diet and exercise may be able to slow down the conversion from MCI to Alzheimer's or just reduce the risk that people that have family histories may, may uh, stay cognitively intact rather than progress through a mild cognitive impairment. And I think if those studies are successful, um, they're called finger pointer and arrow, and they're, they're going on in the U S in Australia and um, uh, other parts of the world. If those studies suggest that we can intervene and reduce risk, then I think it will lead to a public health policy much like we had for reducing smoking and for exercising for cardiovascular health.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you. I want to ask um, Dr. Tessie if if you have anything you want to add um, to Dr. Tianzi's comments there regarding that. And then I've got a
1: few questions for you. Yeah, so I just want to um, highlight one of the points she made was that, you know, this, the pathology starts many, many, many years before you become symptomatic. I mean, patients who um, develop Alzheimer's have actually been on a, a, have been kind of uh, storing up their problem for a decade or more. So, you know. As she said, ideally, we want to intervene before you start that slippery decline down that slippery slope. And that will require treating people when they're quite healthy. And by treating, I mean, it may be a pharmacological intervention or it might be a lifestyle intervention, but whatever it takes, whatever works, I'm sure people will do it.
0: Yeah, one of the things I really liked about the FINGER study and because um, I had inter- interviewed uh, the the head researcher on that as well. And what I heard from people is that they, they loved um, given specific areas that they could really make some changes. And it really gave people a lot of hope versus just waiting for a pill to pop out the door to fix it. Because there's been this whole big thing about cure versus care. And, you know, trying to have this balance of people wanting to prevent it now or who are living with it and trying to at least maintain um, or slow down the process. And so I think it's really um, an important phase that you're looking at. Now, um, you went to a recent conference on Alzheimer's disease um, regarding clinical trials and, and um, that just took place, you know, a few weeks ago what what is your view after going there on some of the recent news regarding you know um some of those studies out there
1: so i this is rj tessie i'll uh, i'll respond you know i think it's great stuff i mean it's going to take a lot of innovation and work and you know there's going to be successful studies and failed studies and You know, like any journey that begins with the first step, you can't stand still and get where we're going. We have to, you know, you have to take the chance. The studies have to be done, and we have to pay attention. Most importantly, we have to pay attention to the results. So, you know, I think the more that is done, the better. And if I can go back to that analogy in cancer, you know, People in the alzheimer's space and neurology drug development in general look with 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 envy on the number of drugs that have been approved in in um and the the uh, cancer indications and you know that's because you know they've been really diligent and working hard they've thrown a lot of stuff at the wall, some of it sticks and some of it doesn't stick but it's you know in in some ways it's good science in some ways it's numbers game. In some ways, it's a little bit of luck, but the bottom line is, you know, now that we are allowed to think beyond amyloid, which I think has been a huge watershed event, I am confident that the amount of innovation from all these very smart people in the field is going to result in therapies that make a difference at the bedside. Hello.
0: Oh, sorry about that. Not sure what happened there. Um I was talking away, but you couldn't hear me. So um can you hear me now? Yes, can we can. Can you hear me now? Okay, okay. Sorry about that folks. Technology at its finest. <laughs> we can't always control it. Um my question to you is what do you think about the, the possible combination, you know, therapy of tackling both the neuroinflammation and amyloid plaques? Is is that, you know, possibly a final solution?
1: Mallow, why don't you tackle that one?
0: Okay, let me get her unmuted here. So there you go.
2: Yeah, is it a is final it? solution to, to – can you hear me? Yep. Can you hear me? okay yep. are you saying are you asking is it a final solution to tackle the amyloid and the inflammation? Is that what you're asking yep
0: yep do you think that that's a possibility yeah.
2: well you know I, I would say that that um, that assumes that most alzheimer 's disease is homogeneous and in fact we we know that it isn't and there's different kinds of um symptoms and different kinds of pathologies once we have a chance to examine the brain. So I would say that there's not going to be one or two magic bullets. I think it's going to be much like cancer where you're going to have to understand what the cause of the disease uh, might be and what is fueling the progression of disease. So in cases where we don't really understand what the cause is or it's multigenic, you know, polygenic risks, um, Inflammation may be one common mechanism, and if we can tackle the inflammation, we may be able to delay or reduce risk for a good percentage of the population. But it's not going to be you know, necessarily um, something that happens very late in life. I think the inflammation starts very early. It starts in your 30s and 40s, and so we're going to have to figure out a way to get very safe drugs to market if we're going to uh, tackle the inflammation. And this has to be drugs that are not immunosuppressive. These have to be drugs that are not going to compromise your ability to fight infection. Um, and I think if we can do that, then there's a chance that we can certainly uh, advocate for good lifestyle uh, interventions, as well as you know maybe targeting um, the pathways that we know are contributing to chronic inflammation. Okay, um, I want to throw uh, another
0: question out um, to you, uh, Dr. Tanzi, and then um, I'll have RJ respond as well. Um, you know, we're we're starting to hear about children getting diagnosed with different forms of of neurocognitive diseases. What's um, you know, because I think most people think that this is just a an adult and an older adult type disease. What are your thoughts? Uh, you know about you know we're hearing that children are getting it now.
2: Are you are you referring to Down syndrome? Or, no, or no, no, amyloid there, there,
0: or what, what? There are actually children getting diagnosed with dementia around the world. Um, not a lot. Oh, of them, oh, but, okay, okay. And so, yeah, but so we don't we don't talk about that. And in again, the focus, you know, we're. We're kind of pulling it out from the, you know, people very old. To now people are starting to accept the fact that people in their fifties and sixties and even forties are getting diagnosed, and and yet um, there are ones even younger than that, um, you know, being diagnosed uh, with
2: dementia. So, so the common dementias that make up the large pool, I would say, you know thirds to three-quarters is Alzheimer's disease. The next big one is Lewy body dementia, followed by mm-hmm. vascular dementia and Parkinson's dementia, and then frontotemporal dementia, which is early-onset dementia, and then alcoholic dementia. Now, there are very rare um, cases where there are genes that, when they're mutated, um, can give rise to... Syndromes and neurological symptoms in very young uh, individuals. But they're not the bulk of the dementia. Um, some of them may be combinations of, you know, psychiatric. They tend to be neurodevelopmental um, instead mm-hmm. of age-related. And so you end up having um, There's a couple of um, diseases that are similar to lysosomal storage diseases like Gaucher's. There's one uh, called NCL for uh, the neurons build up this lipofusion substance because their lysosomes are not working. And when that happens, mm-hmm. the uh, individuals that are like in their teens um, do develop, you know, early onset dementia. But they're, they're rare cases. They're not the, the big, uh, you know, common ones that you see. So exactly. I, every confidence, yeah, I, I think there's, there's lots of diseases that we may not even know about in remote parts of the world since some of the uh, lifestyle of, of uh, people in remote areas uh, can be very different. And mm-hmm. that needs to be researched, it needs to be explored because uh, lifestyle and uh, geographic um, you know, location and ethnicity can make a difference in terms of the rate of progression of, of these diseases.
0: Yeah and I and I brought that up not to scare people um and I, but to just show this is so much bigger than what we even know I I you know to me we know very very little in comparison to other diseases out there and um and we have to be open minded I think um to be able to to find a cure or find something that will help prevent or maintain because it is it is so varied. Um, Dr. Tessie, anything that, that you wanted to add?
1: No, I think I think this has been a, a wonderful discussion. I think you know the, the the you highlight the fact that one the need is still great, two that we're making progress and three that it's going to take some hard work, but uh, you know the future is bright.
0: Yep, yeah. and people can go to your website, immunebio.com, or they can follow you on Twitter as well. That's I-N-M-U-N-E-B-I-O, and the links are there on our show page and also the blog. And we've also listed some um, videos that uh, you can check out uh, where, where both our doctors um, are talking about some various various things that I think you'll find really, really interesting. So I want to thank you um, both so much for your time. And, and Dr. Tansy, anything that we forgot to cover? We've got a, a few more minutes, if need be.
2: No, I think um, I would uh, encourage your listeners to, um, you know, take ownership of information that's out there, um, visit the Alzheimer's Association webpage, uh, the Louis Body Dementia webpage, the Michael J. Fox Foundation webpage. There's a lot of resources out there, as well as the Parkinson's Foundation webpage. There's a lot of resources for people wanting to know more about the disease, and also very importantly for the caregivers, because they're under a lot of stress, and it, it takes a toll on them, and there's resources out there including support groups and other things um, that is very important. And lastly, I think we are going to find cures for these diseases and prevention probably in my lifetime, I would like to say. I would like to think. But it's important that we continue doing clinical trials. Even the failures teach us a lot. And so I would encourage your listeners to reach out and find out if they can become part of a clinical trial. Um, there are lots of opportunities. Some are not invasive at all. They are just questionnaires. Some require a little bit of blood. Um, but it, it's going to take uh, a village of investigators, patients, caregivers, um, and, you know, the communities to really uh, circle the wagon and, and, uh, and beat these diseases.
0: No, oh, I so agree. And, you know, we can't expect things to change if we're not willing to change ourselves. You know, we're going to keep keep getting what we've always gotten and so I agree this is uh, this disease is forcing us if we want to or not, um, but to really bring unity through community and working together and and sharing the knowledge that we hear and so often I think people who are are dealing with a dementia think, well, you know, we just somebody just got diagnosed, we don't know anything, but you always know more than somebody else, and you always know less than someone, who, you know, who you can learn from. And I really think that that's something very important that we can't forget. There's always somebody who, who we can help with our voice or, you know, kind of give them a lift up. And sometimes it's not answering the question. It's just being willing to listen and uh, let that person know that they're not alone um, in their journey. But there are many, many resources Out There Um, so many on uh, on Facebook social media groups where people can talk to um, People like themselves on this journey along with professionals and so would really encourage you to to do So again, um, I would love for you to like click and share this show uh, With with your spheres of influence and again, don't forget to check out um, the website ImmuneBio.com. Uh, so again thank you so much for joining us today really appreciate your time uh, that you took with us to to give us some great insights regarding uh, immune therapy and um, all that you are all you are doing and looking at and we can hear the passion in your voice and, and to me that that's always exciting because uh, I really think passion is what pushes things forward and makes us curious uh, to to look for new answers. And and I think uh, like Dick, I believe Dr. Chancey, you were the one that said, hey, we, you know, even when we fail, we learn. You know, so this isn't all for naught. It just it all pushes us forward. Um, if you are looking for additional resources, please check out AlzheimerSpeaks.com. We've got. Information, uh, not only on the radio show and all of the shows are available uh, 24-7 once they go live. And uh, But we do some video interviews with uh, people living with dementia. We just did one on holidays and um, tackling uh, trigger tips and how to have the the best of the best for for your holiday season and look at things a little different. Uh, There's information about memory cafes becoming... Uh, dementia-friendly, and so much more. So have a blessed holiday season, everyone. And again, thank you for joining us. Bye now.
1: We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech, you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24 7 at SNC.tv and on Local Now, Channel 525.